Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. You know, when you begin to speak the nature of who God is over whatever situation you're in, because uh, that's who God is. He is great. His name literally is El Shaddai, God the Almighty. He's, he goes by El Elyon, God Most High. You know, we could go through the names of God, but we serve the Holy One of Israel. I mean, He is. He's the greatest, the highest. There's no one above Him. And uh, I believe the passage that I'm going to preach from today is just, it, it, it's kind of running along those lines. And um, I was, uh, just to kind of give you guys some encouragement, because I think it's always an encouragement when you know that God has orchestrated the situation. Uh, let's see, it was about uh, maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, originally, I was not scheduled to come up to Cornerstone to preach. Uh, actually, one of our other pastors, Ryan, was, was scheduled to come up here. And I had just sensed the Lord in one of our meetings say I needed to pray that, God, if you wanted me up here, that you would make it, make it abundantly clear that I should be coming here to, to speak. And God did. He actually, Pastor Ryan got asked to preach out the Southern Pines campus to extend the series that he's doing down, down there at Grace. And then, um, and then Randy asked another one of our pastors, and he couldn't go. Asked all the other pastors, they couldn't go. So he calls me and says, hey, we got a problem. There's nobody that's supposed to go preach at Cornerstone. And I said, well, you know, it's funny. I had prayed and I sensed that God say, you know, ask me if you're supposed to be here. And I sensed that he, he wants me to be here. And so the, why is that encouragement? Because we, I believe this is what God wants for this day. So I believe we're, we're moving in God's will. And, and the passage he gave me comes out of, uh, comes out of the book of Isaiah. Um, I, I have been in Isaiah for the past three months. I'm actually getting ready to teach through Isaiah uh, in the month of December at our, at our church at Grace. Um, but there was a specific passage that, um, that, I, that just gripped me that I felt that the Lord wanted me to teach through today. And so, so what, what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to ask you, this is something that I like to do every time I teach, is ask people to stand for the proclamation of the Word of God to give honor to God's Word. Um, and this is something that, that, that we do. So if you're able, if you're able, please go ahead and rise for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to be reading today and teaching out of Isaiah chapter 8, um, verses 11 through 22. I, I just want you to listen right now as the Word of God is released. For the Lord God spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in Him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? 
Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, God, we put ourselves at the mercy of your word. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying today. Father, we want to be a people that loves your word, God, that obeys your word, Father, God, that that eats the scroll, Father God. So I, I, I pray over this Word today, God. Draw out, Father, draw out what You would have us take away from this passage, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, uh, let, me, let, me, let me frame out uh, this passage of Scripture to, so that we can get an idea of what, what, what is going on here with the prophet Isaiah. Now, what's really interesting is during this time that Isaiah... I was speaking uh, this literal passage. Uh, the nation of Israel was actually in pretty, uh, pretty bad division at the time. Um, literally, the nation had split um, because of civil strife, and a once unified nation was now divided. Sounds similar to what we're in right now. In Isaiah's day. Israel and Judah had now, instead of one being one unified nation, had split. You had now the nation of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, consisted of ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, and then the kingdom of the south, or the kingdom of Judah, which consisted of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin that had split off from the ten tribes. So Isaiah lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, we need to understand this because there was not only civil war going on, but there was a massive threat to the entire nation of Israel at the time. Because during this time, the rising military threat was called the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, at the time that Isaiah lived, was the military superpower of the world. As that kingdom rose... I mean, they were defeating every single land, every single general that would rise against them. They would put them down. They would put them in submission. Not only that, the Assyrians were known as brutal. I mean, they would torture their enemies just to get their point across that you don't mess with us. And if we come into your land, you submit to us or else there are going to be really bad consequences. And so, needless to say, there is a lot of anxiety there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty going on at this time in the land of Israel and in the land of Judah. And I believe we're seeing that right now even in the midst of our own nation. There is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of fear. There is a lot of anxiety in the lives of many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people in this nation. But I believe the Word that God gives to Isaiah is the word that we need to hear today. Verse 11, the Lord speaks to Isaiah. And He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with His 
strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. So the first thing that God does with Isaiah is He actually gives Isaiah a warning. Now what's interesting here in this passage is if you read through the scroll of Isaiah, God doesn't necessarily give Isaiah himself a warning to walk in a certain way. He would give Isaiah warnings for the people, but this passage is actually for Isaiah. God is speaking to the prophet himself, and he's saying, Isaiah, with his strong hand on him, he says, do not walk in the way of this people. To interpret that, what God is telling Isaiah is he's saying, Isaiah, set yourself apart from the people around you. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. Now, a prophet of God is not only called to speak the words of God to the people of God, but he is called to live a life that is separated from the people. He is called to live a life of holiness. He is called to live a life of being unstained from the world. Now, you have to think about this. In Isaiah's day, there were people all around him that were filled with fear and thoughts of uncertainty about the future of the nation of Israel and Judah. Is this Assyrian empire? Are they going to come for us? Are they going to destroy us? Are they going to wipe out our families and rape our women and kill our children and take our lands? And God speaks to Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, do not walk in the way that these people walk. Now what God is going to do over the next few verses is He's going to tell Isaiah how to not walk in the way that the people around him were walking. Look what He says. Verse 12, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. So let, let, let's just start right there. The first thing that God tells Isaiah to do is watch his mouth. He says, do not call, do not speak things that the people around you are speaking. And man, what a word that is for this hour. This year, we might call, is the year of the mouth. You know, people have masks on their mouth, yet they're speaking more. Everything in our world is designed so people can have a voice. So people can speak. So people can say what they want and say what they feel. And everyone can hear what they have to say. Yet God tells Isaiah, watch, that what you speak is not what they're speaking. This is, this is crucial. Because we can so easily begin to speak what everyone else is speaking. Instead of speaking what God is speaking. Because when we begin to say what God has said, we begin to see what it's like to live in the world that a prophet lives. Because saying what God says is not popular. Saying what God says doesn't get you with the in crowd. It doesn't get you normally the the promotion maybe. It maybe doesn't get you the, you know, as many likes on your social network page. Maybe it it doesn't get you all the things that make you feel good. But man, when you say what God says, that's how you set yourself apart from the rest of the people around us. And 
And, and I believe based on the New Testament, we are called to be a holy people. Just like Isaiah, a people that are set apart, that are different. We don't say what everyone else says. Because we know a God that they may not know. So when everyone else says, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I say, well, God is great. When everyone else says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, we say, well, doesn't matter. I don't, I don't worry about tomorrow because my scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. Fix my eyes on him. And that's exactly what God is telling the prophet here to do. Now, interestingly, all the people around Isaiah that were in the southern kingdom of Judah, they were very concerned because the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, had made an alliance with the nation of Syria. Now, this was a problem for the people that lived in Isaiah's day in Judah because now not only was Assyria, to be clear, Assyria a threat, now the nation of Israel and Syria, who had formed an alliance, were also a threat. And the people of Judah were wondering, hey, why, why aren't we getting into this alliance? Because we're kind of on an island here. Israel and Syria are together. Assyria is now a threat. And we're sitting down here in southern Israel, you know, wide open, vulnerable for attack. But the warning throughout all of Scripture, the warning that Isaiah would give, is do not yoke yourself. Do not put your trust in pagan powers. And this is a hard thing to do because the people of God, the kingdom of Judah, was outnumbered and outgunned. But God says to Isaiah, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. So he says, be careful with what you say. And then look at the next part. And he says, And do not fear what they fear. So, after he says, Isaiah, watch what you say, he says, Be careful what you fear. Have you ever thought about that? Can you think of right now? Think about, what, what, what do I fear? Or, who do I fear? Now, I'll... This passage reminds me of the story when uh, the uh, the prophet Elisha was with his servant, and they were down in the valley, and they were in seeming trouble from an enemy, and God tells the servant of Elisha, He says, Elisha, I want you to tell him. And I want you to tell him to open your eyes to really see what's going on around you. And at first, the servant could not see. All he could see around him were the enemies of God. The enemies of him. And then the prophet says, open your eyes. And he opens his eyes. And what does he see? He sees chariots of fire. He sees angels surrounding the battlefield, surrounding his enemies. He says, open your eyes to the true God that we serve. And, and, and church, I believe this is what gives us encouragement. Because we need to ask, what are we fearing or who are we fearing? Because God would then tell Isaiah in verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, but the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. Now look at the word, look at the title of God that is used there in verse 13. The Lord of hosts. 
That's Adonai Tsevaot in the Hebrew. What that literally means is God of the armies. Now, that's not, a, that's not an accident or coincidence that that's the, that's the title of God that is used there. Because God is telling Isaiah, He's giving Isaiah a picture of who He is. Now, remember, if you backtrack to Isaiah 6, when he got his commission from God, Isaiah did get a vision of God, right? He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple, right? And then he collapses under the weight of his sin. And then an angel goes into the altar of God, takes out a coal, a burning, a burning coal from the altar of God, and then touches the tongue of Isaiah. So Isaiah had, he had gotten a vision of God, but God is saying, Isaiah, I am the Lord of the armies. Now, do you understand this? God is the high general. Now, we know this in earthly terms. If you look at any army, if we have any veterans in this room, you know how armies are structured, right? You have different ranking individuals, and normally it's like a pyramid shape. You have one guy at the top, and then it spreads out down till you get to your basic infantry soldier. Now, what God is saying, He says, I'm not a general of human armies. God is saying to Isaiah, I'm the general of the angel armies. Now, when you understand what an angel is, that ought to put fear in you. I don't know if you know this, but one angel, just one angel, can wipe out all the armies of the world combined. One. Now, God is the general of the armies of angels thousands of ten thousands of angels. He says, do you know what my army is made of, Isaiah? You've got nothing to fear. Don't look around. Look at who I am. Because when we fix our eyes on Him, we understand, I'm not afraid of you. I serve Adonai Sevaot. I serve the God of the angel armies. And that's what God is telling Isaiah. Because of who He is, He tells Isaiah then, Him you shall honor as holy. 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 Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. He says, Isaiah, you shall honor me as holy. Now what what does that mean to honor God as holy? Well, to be holy is to be, to put it in its simplest terms, to be so unlike anything or anyone that we can even grasp. That it is set apart, sanctified, and honored. That's what God is telling Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, I'm not like anything or anyone you know. I am so other that you ought to honor me as who I actually am. So when the angels write around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. They are saying, God, You are so exalted. You are so different from us. You are so powerful. You're so large. You are so massively perfect that all we can say is holy, holy, holy. So to honor God as holy is to live as if He is holy is to let our life manifest this truth that my God is so much greater than anything I I can even think of. I mean, you could think of the greatest person you know, the most perfect, pure person you know, and God is is on a whole nother, He's in a whole nother atmosphere. That's what God is telling Isaiah here. Again, He's giving Isaiah a picture of who He is. 
And then he says, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Now this is, this is something that, um, that I believe if we could capture this in the United States, if we could capture the fear of the Lord, my God, we would be in a much different place right now. You know, the prophets would always speak when Israel began to turn from God. They would say, the fear of Adonai has left the nation. I believe right now we're in a state, in an hour, where the fear of God is no longer in this nation. People fear man more than they fear God. Now when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we are talking about a recognition of who God is to the degree that even those who are not saved, they know there are certain things that I ought not to do because my conscience bears me witness. We're to such a point where the fear of God has been so emptied out of everything that people run amidst thinking they are God. And, and, and we, the church, need to live lives that say, God, I, I fear You. God, I fear You because I know who You are. I know what You are capable of. It's, you know, it, it even goes down to our basic everyday lives. You see this with children and parents. You know, I, I believe we don't, my wife and I don't have any children yet, but I believe the day will come. And my expectation is that child should have a healthy, reverent fear of their father. And you see this in healthy families. When children have a, and, and let me be clear, a healthy, reverent, reverential awe and fear of their father, you normally see healthy families and healthy children. The same is true where it goes with God. When we have a healthy, reverential fear of Him, we're going we're, we're gonna to walk in His ways and in His desires. And, 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 and I, I, my prayer is that we would recapture that in this country. Now, so God lays this on Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, watch what you say, watch what you fear, and look at who you honor. And he says, Isaiah, if you do these things, look at what will happen. Verse 14, and he will become, that is God, he will become a sanctuary. Let me just think about that. God will become a sanctuary. Literally meaning that He will become our shade, our protection. This is, right, this is a sanctuary. Think about it, right? When you come into Cornerstone on, on Sunday, you know, you're entering a sanctuary, a set-apart place. You know, I know when I come in here, I feel, I feel energized. I feel a sense of covering, refuge. That's what God is saying. He says, I will be that for you if you don't speak what the others speak if you fear me over man, and if you honor me as holy, says then Isaiah, I will become a sanctuary to you. Because when you fear God, you know what happens? Is God becomes a terror to your enemies. And this, this is where we see all throughout Scripture, we see men who put the fear of God first, God became a terror to their enemies. And you know, Isaiah prophesied through five different kings, and there was only one who lived this out, and his name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the only king during Isaiah's reign that actually feared God more than he feared his enemy. And we know how the story ends. The Assyrian Empire comes to Hezekiah 
literally, the, the ruler sends his highest general and, he, and he's go, he goes into Israel proper, Judah, and he says to Hezekiah and his men, he starts to mock them. And he says, you're going to trust in the God of Hezekiah to save you from the greatest military right now on the earth? Literally, the general of the Assyrian army says, he starts mocking them. He says, in fact, we'll give you 2,000 horses to fight us with if you can put men on them. I mean, just mocking them. Hezekiah had told his men at the point, he said, don't answer them a word. He said, when they mock us, when they come out, don't just keep, keep, keep your mouth shut. Don't even, don't even respond. And so Hezekiah's men comes, come back to him and they say, Hezekiah, they, they said they're going to destroy us if we don't pay tribute to them. They're going to come in here. And literally what the Rabshakeh did, he, he literally said, your people will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. That's literally in, that's in the Bible. That was the threat they made. So needless to say, Hezekiah's men were a bit afraid. And not only that, the Rabshakeh spoke in Hebrew so that all the town could hear what he was threatening them with. So the whole town was afraid. But Hezekiah hears this. What does Hezekiah do? Does he begin to quiver in his boots and say, oh no, we're going to get wiped out. We're done for. No, what does Hezekiah do? It literally says Hezekiah tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, goes into the temple of God, drops to his knees and says, God, would you help us? That is a sign of surrender. That is a sign of the fear of God over the fear of man. And that's when God would send Isaiah to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, do not fear. For the Lord your God is going to now fight for you. This is how we ought to lead as the people of God. And the story would go that as the Assyrians would come in, Isaiah prophesied, Hezekiah, not only are you going to be saved, but they're not even going to shoot one arrow against you. I'm going to send them back the way they came. And he's going to die by his own sword in his own homeland. That's the specific prophecy Isaiah gave to Hezekiah. And you know what happened? That night, that that, that night, the Assyrian army, you're looking at probably 200,000 soldiers surround Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is not a huge city. Think of Jerusalem surrounded by armies. 200,000 soldiers God sends the angel of the Lord that night into the camp and kills 185,000 Assyrians. The Hebrews wake up the next morning. All they see is dead bodies everywhere. They begin praising God. And Hezekiah is honored as the king who feared the Lord over men. That is the message for us right now. Let us be a people that fear God more than we fear men. More than we fear the circumstances around us because we know who our God is. He can send one angel, like I said, and wipe out a whole army. Praise God, that is our God. He is great, and He's greatly to be praised. So God says He will become a sanctuary. Isaiah, He will become a sanctuary. But then on the opposite side, the other is true as well. He will become a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. 
So we see with God that the opposite is true. For those who put their hope and trust in Him and they fear Him, He becomes a sanctuary. But for those who do not, it says that He becomes a stone of offense. Meaning people take offense at God. They stumble over Him. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this is what would be prophesied of Jesus the Messiah. That He would be the rock of stumbling. And to this day, to this day in Israel, people are stumbling over the rock, Yeshua the Messiah. They don't trust Him. They don't fear Him. And the Scripture that Isaiah prophesied is still being fulfilled right now that He would be a snare. He would be a trap. People would stumble on it and they would be broken. And so this is, for us right now, this is the message that, hey, Jesus is a sanctuary for those that trust in Him, but those that don't, He is not a sanctuary. And when He returns, He won't be a sanctuary for those that have turned their backs on Him. In fact, He will be a terror, the Bible says. If you read through the prophecies of the return of Messiah, it says He's drenched in blood that is not His own. And as He marches through different lands on a military conquest, He's going to put down enemy after enemy after enemy. So now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. To give your life to Jesus the Messiah. If you have not done that, you cannot listen. If He is not Lord of your life today, you cannot leave these doors without making that decision today. Today. Because you do not know what will happen when you go back out on the roads out there. You, you don't know. Who's to say you don't have a heart attack and die at 1 o'clock today? And if you don't know the Lord, if, he's not this, if you're not surrendered to Him, the Bible is very clear about where your eternity is. Guys, this is much more than just, just, just the stuff we're seeing. This is, etern- this is eternal. There's an eternal impact. And eternity is forever. So I, I want to say that uh, because if there is anyone that came today and you don't know if you were to die where you're going to spend the rest of your life, then I call you today to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And not only will you know that you'll spend eternity in heaven with Him, but you'll know Him now, today. You'll have a changed life forever starting today. And that is the good news. So this is the message that God gives Isaiah. And it's not a popular message. It normally never is. When we stand on what God has stood on, we're not popular, but we are in in the sanctuary of God. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in any midst of wickedness. I'd rather be separated from the world and separated to God. And church, God is looking right now for the remnant. There is a remnant of people, I believe, in the earth right now that God is calling and raising up to be this people. It may not be a lot because a remnant signifies only a few. But what can God do with the few people that are sold out to Him? You know, I was talking to Elder Sam this morning and just, you know, we are just talking about you know the church and the size of the church. And I said, Sam, I'd rather have 20 people who are sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ than have 2,000 people that are lukewarm. 
And I believe when God looks at Cornerstone, He's looking on a remnant of people that say, God, I want to serve You. I want to live for You. And man, what God can do with a small number, with a small seed of people that are sold out for the Gospel is unlimited. Look at what He did with Jesus. I mean, you know, I I always mention to people, I said, hey, make sure you study how Jesus did ministry because... From my understanding, at the end of three years, Jesus only had 120 people in his church. Now, you would modern day, you would look at somebody and say, you 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 had three years in this church and you only have 120 people fail. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of how the modern people look at it. But if you look at Jesus from what I from what I read and where I'm standing today, that 120 people, man, they were all in. And now look at where Christianity is. It's spread throughout the entire globe. And so I just want to encourage you in this room today. Sell out to God. Be all in for Christ and see what happens. Your one life, one man's life can change the world. I believe that and we've seen it through Jesus and His ministry. Um, Now I I do want to, I kind of want to bring this thing in for a landing if you will. Um, We all know that the story of Isaiah and the prophecies of Isaiah, a lot of them were pointing to the coming of this Messiah. And I believe if anything we ought to hope in is the return of our King. I know for me, I always say this and I mean it, I wish Jesus was here yesterday. I wish He was here yesterday. I wish His kingdom was fully here now. And the promises of the prophecies of Isaiah is that this King is coming. He is coming. In fact, Isaiah 63 says He is sitting on the throne right now and He's got a day of vengeance in His heart. And what that means is He has a day in which He is going to bring recompense, but He's also going to bring the fullness of the kingdom. And He is waiting. He is waiting for Scriptures to be fulfilled. And once the Scriptures are fulfilled, He will stand up off the throne The Father will say, Son, now is the time. The Son will be released to come back to the earth. The Scripture says when the Son comes back to the earth, the Bible calls Him the righteous branch of the Lord. That He is the root that came out from the stump of Jesse. Now, Isaiah prophesies that this King will have the spirit of counsel. He will have the spirit of wisdom resting upon Him. It says He will judge with perfection. He will judge with perfection between the poor and the meek. He will uphold the cause of the widow and the orphan. His government shall have no end. You will not vote for this king. He will need no campaigning. When he returns, he will set his kingdom up. Because of who he is, he will reign. He will need no speeches to get his votes. He will need no people to say vote for this man because of his policy. No, you will sit under the king Because His policy is perfect. And it will remain perfect. The peace under His rule, Isaiah says, there will be no end of the peace that we have under His rule. In fact, it says that He will literally dry up rivers so that we can make our way to Jerusalem to see Him. That we will go to Jerusalem to worship with our King. We will sing like the old Jews did the songs of ascent as we go up to the re-cleansed temple of God, His throne. And that's the day that I long for. That's the day that 
I think of. I remember uh, about a month ago, I, I just went out. There's a place near our house that I go out to, to pray sometimes. And, you know, before I went out into the woods, I just sat in my car. And I, and I had a song on that I had recently been listening to. And, and it's an older song, and some of you may know this, but it, uh, but it goes, uh, goes like this. It says, You are Alpha and Omega. We worship You, our Lord. You are worthy to be praised. And as I listened to that song, I just thought, in my head, I had a vision of Jesus sitting on the throne and just worshiping and saying, you are the Alpha. You are the Omega. And I just started weeping because I just wanted it so much. Because I know what this world will be like when He returns. It will be perfect. And so I pray today that that would be in your hearts, that you would find hope in that. That He is coming. He is on His way. But before He gets here, that we do all that He's called us to do. That we run the race with endurance. We walk every day out and we fight the good fight of faith. So that when we do get to that place with Him, He says, well done, good and faithful servants. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank You. We thank You that Your Son is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. That He is the one who was spoken of of the prophets, that He came one time, the first time, to fulfill the prophecies that He would die on the cross, that He would be the suffering one that takes our sins upon Him. And because of His holy, perfect life, God, You accepted His sacrifice for our sin and raised Him up on the third day. And that it's in that name, no other name by which man must be saved. And so, Father, I pray, God, that His name in this place would be honored as holy. The name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah of Israel, would be honored as holy and continue to be honored as holy. Like the name of this church, the Cornerstone. That He is our Cornerstone. God, that people that come into this place, Father God, they would know You. Father God, and if they don't, Father, Your Spirit would just pursue them, Father and pursue them like it did me and so many others, God, until finally we say, I must follow this great King. God, but we also look forward to the day, Father, and I pray, God, over just the spirit of this church, God, that this, this church would also be, God, a Maranatha church that says, Jesus, come. Father, God, that this church would point people, God, to this great King who is coming. And God, we thank You that every word in Your book will be fulfilled. Father, that Your Word is truth, God, and nothing can alter it, Father. God, that there is nothing fake about it, God. There is nothing wrong with it, Father. That we can build our lives upon it. And so, Father, we put our hope in You today. And God, just like we started this day, God, with worship and singing, God, we end it by declaring the greatness of God in this place. Great is the Lord, and the psalmist says, and He is greatly to be praised. So, God, let our praises match Your greatness, Father. God, would our praises be great, Father. God, and like Stella said, let us be people that use our mouths to declare the greatness of God. Yes, there are good things we can do with our mouth, but like she said, the greatest thing we can do is to release praise about who God is because that shifts atmospheres. That changes 
That changes things. And so, God, we declare Your greatness. You are the Great One. And we thank You that You're our God and that You are faithful and You will continue to be faithful forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Cornerstone. Um, you know what? Let, let, me, let me do this. Um, let, let me say a blessing over you um, as we close here. This is, uh, this is actually the ironic blessing. It's the priestly blessing that was given um, to be put on the people of God. So just receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and may He give you peace. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.